We're working through our series called Growing Together in Prayer. As we learn and grow together more in prayer, I, I want to acknowledge this morning that there are difficulties as we come in prayer. You may experience times where you feel like God is silent or even that God is not answering your prayers. You may have times like Jacob where you spend the whole night. He was physically wrestling with God, but you might spend times where you're wrestling with God in prayer. And I, I just want you to know this morning that these are realities. This doesn't feel like a happy way to start out a message. But I want you to realize and recognize that these are realities of our lives. This morning we're going to talk about bold, persistent prayer. And I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. What is the longest time you've been in prayer for a matter? Maybe it was a week. Maybe it was a month, maybe it was a year, maybe it's been ongoing through your whole lifetime or through your child's lifetime that you've been continually praying, you've been persistent in prayer to God for a specific matter. I want to give you several examples of this this morning. In, in the book of Daniel, the Bible tells us that Daniel was fasting and praying for three weeks. That was in regards to what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. And he'd been praying for three weeks. They were in captivity currently because of the Persians. And he was praying and asking God, what are you going to do? And, and here's what happened. It says, then he, he is the angel there. The angel has come to Daniel. It says, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, become, I have come because of your words. Says the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, three weeks. But Michael, one of the chief princes, the archangel, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make, your under, make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So Daniel was praying for three weeks. The angel came to him, and we knew, know that he was withstood. Finally, Michael the archangel came and helped him, and he was able to arrive. But he was praying and fasting for three weeks because of that. Another example is Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and 1 Kings 18, Elijah was sent to Ahab to tell Ahab that there wasn't going to be any rain. There was going to be a drought on the land. And in 1 Kings 18, Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel and he has a servant there with him and he begins to pray. And he sends his servant away to check the sea. And he says, go check the sea and tell me what's there. And so he sends him away once. And he comes, he goes back and forth seven times as Elijah is praying. And finally, the servant comes back and said, there's a cloud rising up from the sea like a hand. And after three and a half years, the drought is over. 
and the rain begins. And in the book of James, he summarizes it this way. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Persistent, bold prayer. Elijah. Paul is another one, and we know Paul from the New Testament talks about that he had this thorn in his flesh, and there's a lot of debate. There's not a whole lot of understanding about what that thorn in his flesh was, but in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about the answer. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in my flesh, that it should leave me, but he said to me, this is the Lord's answer, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we don't know what the time frame of Paul praying, what that looked like. Was it over a period of a week that he prayed three times? Was it over the period of a month or years that he was praying about this thorn in his flesh? We don't know. But he says, I, I pleaded with God. So we find instructions from Jesus. One of them is in Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at this morning. And I want to just make a note before we read the text. Luke is talking here, and he's giving Jesus words, and Jesus is giving a contrast. He's giving a contrast between this wicked judge and God, our Heavenly Father. There are some who might think that it's a comparison between God and the judge, but it's a contrast, and that's very important to note, that he's contrasting those two, and we're going to be told the whole purpose of this text we're going to read in the first verse. So let's read it this morning, starting in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. What's the purpose? It's given to us by Luke here that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. Verse 1. He said, Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So Jesus is giving this description of a judge. Now let me give you a little insight into judges. Judges were traveling judges at that point. They would travel to the different small cities. They would set up a tent. And they would, they would do justice. Now, justice is a term that was probably varying based on who the judge was because there wasn't that strict, just sense. There was a lot of bribing that would happen. The, just, the judge would have assistance and oftentimes they would be bribed to bring certain cases towards the judge. Now, obviously, the widow in this story, she has no husband, 
because she's a widow and so she doesn't have a husband who can go to the judge for her. She's probably not rich because she's a widow, so she doesn't have income in order to bribe anyone. And beyond that, women were considered of a lower class at that point. So for her to get a standing before the judge wasn't probably very going to happen. And so she got a message to him, and then continually, he would leave for his lunch break, and she would be right there. Then he would leave for in the evening when he was done with his, his judging and he, she'd be there. Continually, she was there. She was persistent. And so we, we learned this morning that God honors persistent prayers of faith. God honors persistent prayers of faith. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to elect, to his elect, to cry to him, Day and night. Will he delay long over them? We're called to persistent prayer. We're called to a persistent prayer of faith. This mirrors a lot like what Paul told the Thessalonians. He said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And so there's this contrast that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 18 of this judge who eventually gives justice to a widow versus God, it says, who will act quickly. I think this passage can be further understood by Jesus' other teaching over in Luke chapter 11. You can turn to Luke chapter 11 and we're going to start in verse 5. This is right after Jesus' teaching in, in Luke, which we believe is the second time he taught the Lord's Prayer. The first time was in Matthew chapter 6, that was in the Sermon on the Mount, and the second time is in Luke chapter 11, and he gives a little bit of an abbreviated version, but we're going to start in verse 5, right under them, right under that, the Lord's Prayer there. It says, and he said to them, and Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from, from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is giving us this illustration here. He gives two illustrations. One is a friend in need of bread. He comes at midnight, Jesus says, and he knocks. And he says, do you have any bread you can give to me? For I have an unexpected guest who's arrived and I have nothing to set before him. They couldn't run to the Dollar General or the Family Dollar to grab some bread. 
They didn't have that. All they had that was left in order to make bread, it would have to start from scratch. And so he knocks. He says, do you have any bread you can give me? The second illustration Jesus gives is a son who's asking for food. If he asks for a fish or if he asks for an egg, Jesus says, will the father give him a serpent or a scorpion? And so Jesus is teaching us about his father's response to our prayers here. And there's this process of persistence that God responds to reliance. God responds to reliance. You notice in both of these illustrations that Jesus uses, the man who comes to his friend's house at midnight, he's relying on his friend to provide for him. He doesn't have any other way to get food at that point. It's an immediate need. The son who comes to his father had no way of providing for himself. And so he asks his father for food. Will you give me a fish? Will you give me an egg? And so God responds in reliance. And there's this need to be honest in our reliance with God in prayer. Timothy Keller, in his book on prayer, says this, Honesty in prayer before an omniscient God would seem to be obvious, but instead we often mouth prayerful platitudes without taking the time or making the effort to expose to God and ourselves our deepest fears, hurts, flaws, and sins. It's that being honest with God, being completely reliant on him for our fears, hurts, flaws, and sins. See, being reliant upon God draws us to be completely honest with ourselves and with him. It's when we're drawn to that deep reliance that we realize our deepest and truest needs. Second process of persistence, God answers out of relationship. This is a piece that we've studied before. Jesus is talking about a father here, a friend who's in a close relationship. How many of you would be close enough to somebody that you would feel willing to go at midnight and knock on their door and ask for bread? Eh. might be a little uncomfortable, right? But this friend had a close enough relationship that he could go and he could knock on his friend's door at midnight. Jesus gives the illustration of a father and a son, that close relationship as we studied in Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father, the term there, Abba, our daddy, it's that close relationship we have. 
And when we look through the New Testament, when we study God's Word, we see that it's Jesus' relationship who was broken with the Father while He was on the cross that led to our relationship being restored. This is a longer quote from Tim Keller, but I think it's very important. Tim Keller writes, God treated Jesus as we deserve. He took our penalty so that when we believe in Him, God can then treat us as Jesus deserved. More specifically, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that He, Jesus, merits. Tim says, how can He shower blessings down on sinful people who deserve the opposite? The answer, Tim Keller says, is that Jesus got the scorpion. Jesus got the snake so that we could have food at the Father's table. He received the sting and the venom of death in our place. See, Jesus took on our unrighteousness. And now when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His sinless Son. Instead of the sinner who deserves eternal punishment. Right. <gasps> That's what I say to you. God promises to answer our needs. Another process of persistence. God promises to answer our needs. God is going to answer when we pray. There are times, like I said at the beginning, that might feel like He is not answering, that He is silent. Some of those times, God is saying, no, this is not the right timing for this to happen. Some of those times, God is saying, wait, wait, wait. And then other times, God says, yes, this is in my will. I desire for you to have this. Here you go. Let me pour out my blessings on you. But God promises to answer our needs. Sometimes the problem is we think it's a need when it's really only a want. I don't know how many of you have had little kids and take them to the grocery store and you begin to walk down the aisle and, Daddy, I need that. Well, let me describe to you what a need is versus a want. Is that water, air, food, clothing, or shelter? Those are needs. We need those. We need air or we're not going to breathe. We need food or we're going to die. We need water. We need to stay hydrated. There are needs, and then there are wants. The newest toy, the newest phone, the newest car model, the newest house design, whatever it is, are those needs, sometimes they are, or are they wants? And we aren't always good judges of that because sometimes we, we have the wants like the little kid in the store, but they're really not needs. They're just wants. But God 
promises to answer our needs. What is our deepest need? Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, that's why in red letters, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That relationship. In biblical times, just like today, sitting down and eating with someone implies that there's a relationship there. And Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Another part of the process of persistence, God desires to give His children good gifts. God desires to give His children good gifts. Jesus says at the end of this, if you, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's one of the best gifts Jesus could give to His children? God could give to His children. That's the Holy Spirit. And so God desires to give His children good gifts. In James chapter 1, James writes this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and every perfect gift is from our Heavenly Father above. Not only does God honor persistent prayer, but I think God honors bold prayers of faith as well. I have several examples of these also. Abraham is one example. Abraham was praying. Remember, God revealed to him that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's nephew Lot was living there at the time. And Abraham pleaded with God, God, if there are 50 righteous people, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, yes. If there are 50 righteous, I will save the city. Abraham goes back to him and says, now God, I, I, I'm going to be bold here, but what if there's 45? What if there's 45? Will you save the city? God said, yes, I will save the city. This goes on. Abraham says, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? God, I don't want to be so bold here, but what if there's only 10 people? Will you save the city? God says, if there's only 10 righteous people, I will save the city. Obviously, we know God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There was not 10 righteous people within the city. But Abraham was bold. Another one is Jacob. I talked about this at the beginning. Jacob who wrestled with, with, the Bible says, the Lord all night long. And finally, Jacob says this in Genesis 32:26. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This was after God touched his hip and put it out of joint. It says that Jacob walked the rest of his life with a limp, remembering that he had wrestled with God. What kind of a bold prayer is that? God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob was bold. The New Testament, 
gives us examples of the boldness of the early church as well. In Acts 12, verse 5, we studied the book of Acts. Uh, at this point, Peter was put in prison for preaching the gospel. And in Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That earnest prayer, a persistent prayer, a bold prayer before God. And if you remember what happens, Peter's asleep and he's woken up by an angel and he thinks he's dreaming and he's led out into the streets. And at some point the angel leaves and it's like he comes out of his days and realizes, I'm no longer sleeping. This angel just led me out of the prison. And so he goes to the home where he knows the church is meeting and is praying and it says he knocks on the gate. Well, the servant girl, Rhoda, comes out and she hears that it's Peter and she can't believe it. She leaves Peter at the gate, runs back inside and tells them, Peter's at the front gate. They're like, no. Even though they were having persistent, bold prayer that they were praying earnestly for Peter to be released, they didn't believe her. Finally, they go out and there he is, still standing out at the gate, knocking. You guys going to ever let me in here? They didn't even believe their own bold prayer. But God wants to surprise us with his answers to our bold prayers. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then with confidence. In the context of this passage in the book of Hebrews, the author is saying that Jesus is now serving as our great high priest. No longer is a human priest needed to intercede for the sinful. Hebrews tells us that we have one who is far greater, Jesus, who is the Son of God. The passage right before this, in verse 15, says that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. You notice that it doesn't say he condemns us in our weaknesses. It doesn't say he causes shame in our weaknesses. It doesn't say that he punishes us in our weaknesses, but in verse 15 it says he comforts us, sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Why? Because he is the ultimate example of being tempted and yet coming out pure. It's in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our wretchedness, that we can approach God with our most confidence. Why? Because we know as we studied last week that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's always faithful. He's always just. There's some reasons that we can be bold in our prayers. We're called to confident expectation. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We're welcome to the throne of grace, not condemnation. 
Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not just a little bit of condemnation. Not just some condemnation. What does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet so often we live in this state of thinking about the sins of our past when those have been forgiven, when we've been set free of those sins and we're called to live in righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4 says, we're welcome to the throne of grace. We come and receive mercy and grace. And we can also rely on God during our deepest, darkest times of need. Psalm 23 is very familiar. Verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though we're walking through the deepest, darkest times of our life, God is right there. We're called to pray boldly and with confidence in the midst of our circumstances. We can pray specifically in our requests. Understanding that as we pray, we're giving a willingness to leave these things in God's hands. And that we're resigning ourselves to His will and His actions. Prayer has a way of bringing faith a reality. It brings reality to our faith. So in conclusion this morning, God enjoys hearing our bold, persistent requests and desires to go above and beyond our own expectations. Keller says this, prayer turns theology into experience. Through it we sense his presence and receive his joy, his love, his peace and confidence, and thereby we are changed in attitude, behavior, and character. Prayer turns theology, what we believe, into experience. How we experience God, how we perceive him. Three applications this morning. One thing you can start doing is you can start doing a prayer journal. I'm horrible at this. So I recommend it to you in the fact that I recognize that some of you are journalers and some of you are not. But prayer journaling is one good way to see God's faithfulness. Why? Because you can journal your prayer requests and then jot down afterwards how God met that prayer request. How God answered that prayer request. And the more and more you do that, you can look back and you can pray persistently and with boldness because you can look back and say, look at what God did. He said no here, but he said yes here, and he said maybe here, and it took a little while, and then that prayer was answered as well. And so that encourages us in our prayer time. Another way is to pray alongside each other in your persistent prayer requests. I know some of you are praying for loved ones. 
I enjoy that opportunity when I get the opportunity to pray alongside of you. Those of you who have loved ones that you've been persistently praying with for them for years. Finally, pray boldly. Pray boldly. Sometimes praying boldly means you pray a specific request. Something that's bigger than you that you don't even think would be possible, but it's in your kind of wildest dreams. God, could you do this? Could you make this happen? Praying boldly. What burden has God laid on your heart that needs bold prayer? And then dream big. Maybe it's a personal prayer request. Maybe it's a family prayer request. Maybe it's something in our community that you can pray boldly with. Maybe it's something in this church that God is calling you to pray boldly. But we're called to pray persistent, bold prayers of faith. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you recognizing who you are, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, that you are all-wise. And God, there have been prayer requests, persistent prayer requests being lifted up by members of this church. And God, we call on you to answer them. With boldness, recognizing your will. And God, we wait patiently, yearning for you to answer those requests. God, there are others in here that have a burning desire for something. God, and they are going to start praying boldly for that. God, we pray that you would work amidst those. God, answer those according to your will. Maybe it's not exactly as we desire or we perceive, but so often it's so much greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. God, we pray for you to work as you do. Work first in our hearts. Work in our lives. Work in the church. And let that allow that to flow out into our community to bring you honor and glory and praise. And we pray these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.